Ready graphics? Ready theme? We're completely aware of it. You know, the, the fact is we really don't give a shit how we look. You know what I mean? It's it's like we are what we are and we, we've earned it. We're here. Um, people will either like the show or they won't like it. The content is fantastic. And if they don't like it because we're old, there's nothing I can really do to change that. Hi, everyone. This is Jesse Mullins. And this is Lauren Milberger. And we're back for part two with Joe Regalbuto. Yes. We loved the interview so much, we asked him to stay. We just did not want to hang up with him. No. (laughs) Just a little housekeeping for this episode. Uh, Joe couldn't think of the name of the actor as well, couldn't we, in the moment, Mm -hmm. who played Henry Tucker, the gunman in Set Me Free. And his name is Robert Harper. And Jesse wanted to add a little something about something that's interesting about this episode in uh, the abstract. Yes. Okay. So we um, we have had many conversations about censorship ratings. Um, and, you know, something that's important to us is that we, we don't want to censor anyone. You've heard us beep a couple times if there's been um, an, an F-bomb that was probably uttered. However, we want to hold really true to TV standards. And at this time, there are certain words that are said on TV that we are not going to censor. And as I was editing, there was a, a curse word that Joe used that I had a feeling I could keep in, but I wasn't sure. And I asked Jesse, and she told me this great story. Well, so I don't know um, how many of those listening are South Park fans, but I remember quite vividly an episode called It Hits the Fan, um, which aired on June 20th of 2001. And they were pushing the envelope as far as what should be censored or not. So they they challenged and did an uncensored episode. Um, Obviously, it hits the fan. We know what we're talking about. The word shit or shitty is exclaimed and uncensored a total of 162 separate times in that episode. Uh, This actually does not always include the written and unwritten um, shits that were put in. So sometimes people go by the script and sometimes people go by the full airing. When it's uh, re-aired or syndicated, there's actually a counter in the corner that just racks it up because they were basically challenging. We should be allowed to say this word. It's in the common vernacular now. Ease off of the censorship. So I, when she said, I don't know, I don't know if it's is it censored anymore. I was like, oh no, I know for a fact it's not because of this episode. Um, so by the end, if you ever watch this episode, it's a total of two hundred times. And also, real quick, I think there's a blip in the recording a bit because mm-hmm. of the Skype. Mm-hmm. Joe says that hair jokes and toupee jokes were big in the 1980s, which mm-hmm. is definitely true. Definitely so true. So if you didn't actually hear exactly what he said, that's what he said. So you can follow us on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at MurphyBrownPod. Mm-hmm. And you can email us if you have thoughts or feedback at MurphyBrownPod at gmail.com. Or you can just go check us out and look at our, look at our faces on the website at MurphyBrownPod.com. We would also love if you enjoy listening to this episode or any of the episodes to leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us get the podcast out more. And we hope that you enjoy this this final episode with, with Joe. We sure did. Yeah, and we hope to have him back again. We do. Yeah. Bye. Bye. I have to ask a question oh, about something that we have discussed. Oh, no. Do you have thoughts on Frank's, as we call it, the on-air hair? Oh, yes. The rug. You know, that was a weird... I, I wasn't wasn't my favorite thing that we ever did, although when I look back, it was some of it was pretty hilarious. And Diane was nice. She said, would you mind if we did this, if we wrote this? And I said, no, I don't care. No, go ahead. At that point, it was like, do whatever, you know, <laughs> so let's do it. And it was fun. I, I don't think there'll be any on-air hair <laughs> coming. I think if I remember correctly, you burn it at yeah. the beginning of season three. <laughs> yes. I, I do remember that. Exactly. It's it's all silent, which is why it's hysterical. It's great. You just kind of walk in. Yeah. <laughs> well, our discussion, I think, was... Cause, why? Because I felt mm-hmm. no one noticed that Frank didn't have the hair in real life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's always something I wondered as a kid. So that became sort of a funny conversation that we had on the show was, you know... but And you had you had a good idea, though, you, what you thought. Which part? The why he does Oh, it? was that um, it, it was a different time, she felt. But yeah, and, I was saying there's... It was a different time. We weren't as oversaturated with, uh, with the paparazzi and with the, uh, the notoriety. Well, you know, that's right. So, so he wasn't necessarily a public figure like everybody is just by walking down the street. Exactly. He was just a public figure when he was on TV. You know, and remember the, the episode where we get held hostage? Yeah. That was mm-hmm. hilarious. It, it went, when, when, oh, my God. 
I'm all of a sudden blanking on a wonderful actor's name. But he, he's got the gun in his hand and he's looking. Suddenly, is, is that a wig? <laughs> and so I, and I say, well, why don't you just shoot me? <laughs> <laughs> well, and one something that that Lauren had brought up in, in our conversation was, does Frank wear it in the field if he wears it on set? And so I was saying, well, first of all, I, I feel like he probably could, because if you're doing the investigative reporting, you could be wearing hats and different things that are rugged yeah, and covering so that fact. No. And we've just, we've enjoyed the conversation. You know, <laughs> that's funny, because I, I never even thought of it, and we never we never paid any attention to it. Never wore it when, you know, he, he didn't put it on when Julia Roberts showed up. He never wore it. <laughs> so that is an odd, that's an odd feature. I'm going to have to speak to someone about that. <laughs> oh, I thank God. Thank God I didn't have to wear it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I, I appreciate the confidence that the real Frank and the Frank who, who hopelessly loves all these women doesn't feel like he has to wear it for them. Well, you know what? It, now it's a very different time, too. You know, now, like, everybody shaves their head and it, it, there's, there's no hair anywhere. It, it's hard to find good hair nowadays. <laughs> Except for, like, you know, Grant has good hair. He still has good hair. But, Last, <laughs> yes. you know, you hope that it's also an old joke. Mm-hmm. Hair jokes, ball jokes, it's like, who gives a crap anymore, really? I mean, I, I find them kind of cheap and weak now. Now. Yeah, absolutely. Because it, it is a it's an easier joke. Anything that's about somebody's appearance is, is an, a first level joke. I mean, you know, in the 50s, toupee jokes were gigantic. <laughs> 50s, like, yep. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it, it was, you know, made perfect sense to go on air with it. But, um, y- you know, there are. Yeah, I, I don't think it's even, even a, a thought coming around. Which I think is great. And I think also because that was part of the commentary about Murphy when when the show started was age and having those slight touches without making it about the toupee. Where do they see us now? Yeah. I'm excited. <laughs> I was thinking about that on the way here, that I, I feel like, you know, we, we, all, we know that story at the time that they wanted to make Murphy 30. Yeah. And and uh, Heather Locklear, yep. you know, and then and then after Murphy, there were it was very normal to see shows with forty year old leads, yep. and so now it feels like there's a new taboo of having people over seventy, exactly. you know, in the lead, and and there's Murphy right at the Murphy forefront just keeps of it, coming in and being like, no, yeah, I mean you have you have Grace and Frankie. I'm, I'm over seventy, by the way, so don't get carried away. Okay, <laughs> that's right. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, not yet. I'm sorry. I apologize. <laughs> You keep them young, Joe. You keep them young. You know what? Listen, that's that. Believe me, is is, is another thing. I, you know, I said to Candace. I remember writing as soon as we decided to do this. I said, I'm going to start memorizing now. <laughs> and she said, Me too. But look, we're completely aware of it. You know, the the fact is, we really don't give a shit how we look. You know, what I mean? it's it's like we are what we are and we, we've earned it. We, we're here. Um, people will either like the show or they won't like it. The content is fantastic. And if they don't like it because we're old, what, what, there's nothing I can really do to change that. And we got a couple of young guys in there. They can yeah, watch the young yeah, guys. You got you two young guys. Young yeah. guys. We got two, 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 three young guys. We got two in their 50s. That's young. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and I will say as someone who, who grew up like Lauren did where this was – this was my entertainment. I watched what my parents watched. I watched Murphy Brown. I watched Murder, She Wrote. I loved Grumpier Old Men and Golden Girls. And I was, I was gifted with being shown people of all ages on my, on my screen. And it really, as a, as a child and as a young woman, it informed me, to quote you, not giving a shit and not letting that be the thing that, that ever stopped me and, and wanting to embrace that diversity, which is age and color and, and gender and so on and i think that having you guys come back and proving that it's still relevant without any of that in consideration is very important i think we need more of that yeah i never was interested in stories of teenagers or people in their 20s when i was that age Me too. there's there's no history there's no no sort of character i i didn't watch 90210 like my no. my cohorts did i uh, my mother watched my soul called life i had no absolute interest in watching it and all of the sort of uh, they call it shipping which i've learned as an yeah. adult which is when you like like two characters together i always liked older romances because there too. was a history there oh that you see that's really interesting to me because i feel like 
if content is there, people are going to tune in and the age is not going to be critical. I mean, but yeah, listen, I'm hoping that older you that younger people are going to say are going to tune in that are they're they're not. I mean, listen, I remember when I was young, I loved Olivier. I loved the old guys. You know, I love those to see that stuff work. I I love the great story. I loved. So I'm, I'm, you know, far from (laughs) comparing us to Olivier. But I mean, I think if the story is there and the work is good, look, it's certainly topical. I mean, we have the great advantage of being topical. And again, another stroke of terrific cleverness is from Diane is, you know, Murphy has a son who's grown up and he's going to be in the new show and he'll have an interesting role to play. So, um, you know, I, I, I really think there's um, maybe it's naive. Maybe it's just hoping for the best. But I think people are going to relate. There's a lot of energy in the show. You don't look at it and say, oh, there's a bunch of old folks sitting around talking there's a lot of energy in the in in uh in these characters and uh, and in the episodes a lot of energy yeah and you've already established these characters and i i think even if people aren't familiar with them there's still that history that that you all have from playing those characters that'll make it even richer for people i think to be connected i I, i'm hoping you know and just just that little thing that we released uh that CBS released there through Facebook. That teaser? Yeah, it was great. We loved it. Views and, and, and mm-hmm. uh, the responses and people. It, it, it's just, it does seem like people are looking forward to it, you know? Whether they're fans or not, that's a lot of people looking forward to something. And uh, there, there are, because again of social media, we are interacting with a lot of people to get them to listen to the show mm-hmm. um, on Twitter, on Instagram. And um, a lot of people are really excited. They are. You know, and, and we found there are a lot more people like us who watched it when they were younger. Mm-hmm. And so this is sort of a childhood memory as well mm-hmm. as perhaps, you know, just a, a good memory. Mm-hmm. But there are even a few people who have watched the the teaser trailer and go, you know, I heard of this show or I haven't heard of this show. I, I, I think I might watch this, even mm-hmm. though I don't know it. Because unfortunately, since it is not streaming, uh, there's a whole generation of people who aren't familiar with the show. You're, you're so right. And, and uh, it's, it's interesting. Um, maybe it's just in my household, but I have a feeling, you know, news itself has become a big player in entertainment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Especially now, God only knows. But um, so it's going to be it's going to be. Uh, fun for us to be back here in, in 2018 exploring all of this stuff dealing with how does, how does Murphy and, and, and Frank and Corky deal with the social media aspect of, of everything, how it's instantaneous, how if you know, if you take a smoke of a cigarette, it's, it's, it's in 50 photographs or, you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. just, you can't look, it's, I joke around with my, my, my friends and stuff. Now they're saying, Joe, you've been undercover for a while. It's fun. Jokingly, we keep saying, you know, just call me Smiling Joe. Ask me a question about anything. Everything's good. Everything's because you say anything, and and half the country's going to hate your guts. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we when we started this podcast before there we even could dream of a revival coming up. The original goal in, we still on our website, was the hashtag bring Murphy Brown to DVD. And it, because we wanted it past season one, because for us, we, A, wanted to show that there is the fan base. And especially within the youth, there is the fan base of those of us who grew up with it and, and know it so well and love it so much. But also the fact that we want to show that there is a consumer out there for the rest of the series because it has so much to say that isn't being said. So the idea that we can have it now saying what we want to hear now asking the questions and putting it right in front of us makes us so excited because of what it did back then, including Dan Quayle. Please. Uh, no, I just wanted to add on top of that something that I think a lot of people also don't realize is that there are actually two sets or even three generations because you mm-hmm. have people who grew up in it during the original run and then people who actually, which I'm learning more, learned about it watching it on TV land. Yep. Well, it, it, TV land brought it back and then, the, then it was... Uh, Encore. Encore, yeah, that was short-lived, unfortunately. Hey, that was Encore, a short-lived yeah. one. 
Um, you know, we were talking about that just just this uh, couple of weeks ago. The difficulty was the Motown. Yeah. yeah. As you guys know, the Motown songs would cost a fortune. Uh, it, it was such an emblem of the song, but I guess to put that together, and even Diane, because uh, Nick Dodani, who's going to be on our show, was asking he wants to watch all the shows in order, and he can't do it. And she said, mm-hmm. you literally, there is no place. She said, I'll take care of you, but she's like the only one. You know, She knows uh-huh. a guy. She knows a guy. <laughs> but you, you just can't do it. You can't find them anywhere. So th- they're looking for remedies to that. You know, that's still a possibility. But, uh, yeah, so that's kind of a drag, you know. I mean, it was such a, a positive of the show. And when you think of some of the stuff we dealt with back then, you know, sexual assault in the office. We had, you know, um, small town people coming in to fight for their rights. We had, you know, there were just a million um, issues came on. Freaking Newt Gingrich came on the damn show. I mean, we we actually were uh, we were surprised by our reaction watching Set Me Free the the hostage episode. I'm watching it now. The hostage episode. Exactly. You know, and, and uh, that happened. It seemed like one out of every three or four shows, we were touching on something like that, Mm -hmm. you know, and and plus the, the, you know, I I digress a little, but the people that came on, you know, Geraldine Ferrara came on the show, Walter Conkrad was on the show. Bob Dole was on the show. Uh, Julia Roberts came on the show. Elizabeth Taylor came on the show. John F. Kennedy Jr. came on the show. Newt Gingrich came on the show. I mean, it was insanity. It was insanity on any given day. You know, these people would come in. All the news reporters loved the show. So they were all there. Um, but I digress. It was just, it was a fa- fascinating, you talk about life changing, you know, where, where am I going to meet these people? Jim Joe from Jersey, Jersey Joe, what the hell, where are we going? <laughs> but it was also industry changing too. And that's the thing I think that really stood out. You know, I remember working on other shows. I remember directing a few shows. Oh, I'm going to give you a little bit of trivia. This is amazing. So Murphy Brown was shot on stage four at Warner Brothers for 10 years. A few years after that, the George Lopez show came on. I ended up directing about 50 of those mm-hmm. on stage four at Warner Brothers. So I, I worked for about 16 years on that same stage. Wow. <laughs> Is that nuts? That feels like yeah. home. You should, uh, you should do what uh, Fellini did out in Rome and just move into it. <laughs> he lived in his favorite studio. You know something? I think you have claim. Retirement. You have like squatter's rights or something. Instead of stage four, stage Regalbuto. Regalbuto. <laughs> Do you have any favorite episodes of the show that you can think of or favorite moments of Frank that you loved playing or just loved for the character? Um, I, yeah. I, I, there were many. You know, I loved, I loved the man and I loved my relationship with Gary Marshall. Mm. Mm. Gary, um, you know, I was talking about Dudley Moore before, but <clears throat> to me, Gary uh, is, is is the best guy I ever met in showbiz. You know, just so down to earth, so funny, so from the Bronx, so, so smart. He would come in, he played the head of the network, and he would come in and just have us cracking up, and he had a particular thing with Frank from the very first time where he tells me, uh, hey, Fontana, here, have some chocolates, Fontana. So he says, they're from Belgium. I said, hmm, very good. Great. So he starts to get on with the meeting and I reach in and I take another, one Fontana! Raised by wolves! Back and Candace is scared. Like, who's scared to he oh and then I lean against his program board. He has a whole program with a whole season of things, and I lean against it, knock the whole thing off, and skew everything comes falling down. Fontana, what are you doing? Not bad, not bad. 
<laughs> Joe, if I, if I may just very quickly go in there. So my dad did not watch Murphy Brown, but he loved Gary Marshall. Mm-hmm. And um, he watched that episode with me. And he still quotes that to this day. That's not bad. <laughs> you know, my dad also grew up in Jersey. A, a, a lovable guy. I, I was fortunate later got to to direct a play at his theater, the Southland Theater out, out here in, in California. I got to act in, in one that he wrote. Oh, cool. His play. And I'm in Gary's book because I was in Mork and Mindy. And he talks about, you know, being in Mork and being in Mork and Mindy and then meeting him later and things. So, but like I remember him coming to this big party filled with all the suits. And we were just, you know, we were kids. We were coming out there and, up on this giant thing. It was at Les Moonves' house and there was people there and you're a little nervous at those, you know. I'm not good at that stuff. Not, you know? So anyway, and then Gary comes in, how are you? What's going on? He kind of hugs us. You just kind of relax. He's so, we're so real, so sweet, so funny. I, I have nothing but uh, the greatest things to say about Gary Marshall. He was one of the true the true angels in the business. How was it working with Rosemarie as your mom? You know, it was it was brief. It was it was it was funny. It was it was Rosemary. You know, she was terrific. I, these people would come in and they would give their time, and they were actually excited and enthusiastic about doing it. And uh, it, you know, she was terrific. It was not a, a big big episode that I recall, but it was. Yeah. And she, she came back a second time, but you're not in a scene with her. She's in a scene with your younger self. Oh, yeah. That's right. That was another episode that I loved. That's my favorite, actually. Yeah, I love it. I think we go down in a uh, in a plane crash. Mm-hmm. And we end up at our own funeral. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's one of the hallmarks of the series, that episode. Yeah. My my ashes get vacuumed up by the janitor, by the night watchman. <laughs> so good. Frank can't catch a break. Nope. Bobby Pastorelli. <laughs> Bobby puts, he says, oh, well, I, I didn't bring anything. Well, here, he takes out a few Tic Tacs and puts it in my ashes. <laughs> <laughs> here, here you go. <laughs> now I got to play the saxophone. On that episode, that was that was the was really really fun. It was actually an hour episode. It was a I think it was a two parter or, or an hour or something. It like definitely that. aired as an hour because I remember being very excited. Yeah, it was my first hour as a fan. <laughs> um, and unfortunately, in syndication, it gets cut to shreds. It gets cut a lot because they cut into two sections. And um, luckily, I still have it from my VHS that I put on a oh digital my. DVD. Um, yeah, so eventually we're going to get into season two, mm-hmm. and um, the only way we're going to be able to continue doing the series is either putting together two syndication copies. This mm-hmm. is crazy. One from you know TV Land uh, and one from original syndication run, or eventually the ones that I have. Really? Mm-hmm. Yes. They were. I would record them all on VHS. <laughs> when? And uh, about ten years ago, I put them on DVD, and yeah, I haven't that's looked was at relatively it. new. Yeah, too. I had a DVD recorder, yeah. and I. I well, when did you record them? I originally recorded them when they aired. When you were a kid. When I was a kid. That's crazy. So okay, you haven't listened to all our shows. So okay, so eventually my fandom got so bad. That so I would good. go. Sorry, yes, so good, so good. That I would uh, record them, and then I would watch that episode all week, and then I would come back Monday. I had I I was bullied a lot, and I I needed to laugh. My whole school life was was very unhappy. Unfortunately, I'm fine now. So to me, the show also means a lot to me nostalgically because it helped me through this really bad time in my life. I'm dyslexic, um, so school in general was not a very fun thing for me. Oh. Uh, but I hadn't looked at it in forever, and I realized I should digitize it for the show. And mm-hmm. so I've been, you know, going through these DVDs, and you know, some of them are better quality than the others. But, um, but we have them. We have them. So you were so shy and everything, and you managed to decide to be an actor. What are you crazy? I know what was what was wrong with me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I mean, that's how I got over social anxiety yeah, I, because when I was on stage, it wasn't me. That's so true. I was super brave when I was on stage. Yeah. No, I I was obsessed with show business. Mm-hmm. That sort of, you know, Mel Brooks, writer's room of show shows, show business. Listen, the show business, I think, got me. I was, I remember sitting 
in the balcony with my friends watching a, a high school production of Brigadoon. And it was a funny guy. I remember very little about it, but I remember laughing. And I remember the applause when they came out and the whole coloring, you know, gets dark and it's right up there. I was like, that was it. That was the initial, whoop, this is what you love. Couldn't admit it with, the, with my friends. You want to do what? You know, it turns out they were all the most supportive, those kids from high school and everything. But, but I was more extroverted. You know, I was more extroverted, just, uh, but also struggled. Was an okay student, but when I say okay, I mean sort of barely okay. I was a, a, a decent athlete, athlete, but not really good. So, you know, and then all of a sudden people would say something, you know, you, you'd take part in a little scene in a class and people would go, oh, that's good. I did something good, you know, and that accompanied by interest. Like, I like this. I like memorizing this. I like working, figuring this out. You know, that whole thing was the first thing that I ever, I'm going to do this. So I, I always sort of thank um, limited intelligence, but intense focus. <laughs> and and like, like you just, I, I, I couldn't, I never know really who I am or what I'm doing, but when somebody writes the words out for me and says, say this at this time, oh, thank you. So it may be part of being an actor is, is I, I don't really know who too much about who this guy is. But when they write something, you know, I have theories about this guy. Too many. <laughs> but the people on the page, I, I see them, I get them, I can be I them. get it. It's mostly somebody telling me what to say, who to be. Because, you know, we're always being somebody different. You're different when you go to meet a boss. You're different than when you go to see your best friend. And so, you know, be all those – somebody's going to tell me what to be at this time. They're going to tell me what time of day it even is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, this is cool. <laughs> Thank God for writers. And they're going to say, you're going to lose this battle. You're going to fight like hell, but you're going to lose this battle on this page. Oh, okay, I'm prepared for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you hear that a lot of uh, with actors that it, it, there's a, something about it that draws you to it. And then you find out later, oh, I like the psychology. Mm -hmm. I like breaking down a script. I like looking into it. And it ends up being that that was your calling. But at the beginning, it was something glitzy that maybe, you know, brought you to it. Glitzy or a feeling. And, and uh, yeah, and for me, it's, it's also something that I, I really can devote myself to and spend hours working on and, and studying, which I could never do with normal schoolwork or this job or that job. This I can, I can get lost for hours and not complain. Well, complain, yeah, I'll complain. But, <laughs> but you know, we're what not I mean? human if we don't complain. Yes. It's a, it's a thing that has given me impetus and direction, you know. Something I like to do. Yeah, aren't we lucky? And that's that's like the biggest blessing in the world that you can. Uh, and I'm always aware of it that you that you can support yourself um, doing something you love to do. And you know what? I don't care what actor you're talking about. Actors go huge periods of time without working. Mm -hmm. And in the beginning of your career, wondering if you'll ever get another job again. And it's a horror, and only until you get to your advanced years, <laughs> only that you can sort of look back and you say, boy, have I been blessed to do so many things. While you're in the midst of that, you're sometimes thinking, okay, where's, where's the highest bridge? You know, it's tough. One of the most interesting things for me as a, as a professional performer and artist, writer, we, I mean, we all do it all, is going back home to the to the family members who ask are you still doing that thing waiting for you to grow out of it or right. getting the question right. of what's it like to audition and when you have to kind of explain to people that no in, in reality it's every day we're going into another job interview we're not going into one and then working there until we get bored with it or something like that. We get one job and it might be a day. You might lock out and get a sitcom and you get to be there for a long time. You might get a three-month movie. You might get one voiceover gig that's an hour. Very rare. You know, <laughs> the sitcom, the 10-year sitcom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
it's, 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 it's impossible. Let's put it this way. The lottery, you've got a better chance. It's, it's ridiculous that somebody came and picked me out of a hat to do Murphy Brown. I mean, I have no rhyme or reason for it. There were other pilots I did that failed. You know, I'm not saying that I'm a, a, a rotten actor. Yeah, I'm, I'm a decent actor. I can, I can do some stuff and blah, blah, blah. Still, I mean, I saw a lot of terrific actors came in who tried out for Frank and, and who ended up getting recurring parts. And, you know, Jay Thomas was one. I mean, there were a lot of people who... You were the right person for the role. And yeah. there's very... Rarely a rhyme or a reason. Yeah, and Jay Thomas was the right guy for Jerry. Exactly. That's for sure. Right. You know, listen, who knows what your karma is, what, what's around the next bend, and uh, I'm a full believer in that, you know. So, But sometimes you don't see it until later. I was not expecting this to come back. There were opportunities in the past where maybe it was an inkling when Sarah Palin was running, and, you know, there was some talks that Diane had mentioned. There were some talks about that. But I figured, you know what, how, what a gift. I was in that show for 10 years. It's still a huge part of my life. Um, no getting away from it, you know, and I, and I accept that fully. I'm very happy. There's a lot of other places that I could be. Um, so I, I'm, I'm always aware. Whenever they would open up the gates to the lot for me to go on, thank you, Lord, you know, I, I am aware fully from my own experience and from others how how blessed I am. I mean, as a director, I have been in, in rooms and I've seen guys my age who are wonderful actors that I've seen in the theater, worked with in the theater, and they're coming in to read for a line or two or three. And I'm not very good at it because I, I lose any kind of objectivity. I, I'm just like... Uh, you know, I need somebody else to make those decisions. It's a tough, it's a tough deal. It's a tough deal. So it's got to be some kind of intense stupidity or love that makes you keep going after it. Oh, yeah, we're nuts. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the best advice I ever got was if you can imagine yourself doing anything else, good, please go do that. Yes. And now I understand. Yep. Now I get it. That is the best idea. That's, I tell everybody that. If there's anything else you even have an inkling about, do it. <laughs> I used to work for an acting school and um, we would interview everyone, audition if they had more experience and I'd be like their counselor and you get a lot of young kids actually who go, well I don't know if I want to be an actor or a doctor and I Whoa. would say please go be a doctor please go, please go be a doctor Please, we, we don't need more actors, we need more doctors please. Yes, help us all. Listen, my daughter who's 32 now um, I directed her in a production of Romeo and Juliet she, that was what she wanted. You know, some kids asked her, like, you know, I want a car, I want this. She said she wanted, she wanted to do play Juliet, right? And I'm thinking, you know, a couple of love scenes, how bad can it be? I'll, <laughs> I'll figure oh. it out. Oh. I know she was good. And then I'm looking at this cast list and everything. Anyway, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We, we, ended up, we ended up being, if I do say so myself, freaking brilliant. It was great. We did an hour and a half production. My point is, she was spectacular. She was really good, very good actress, but could not deal with the rejection, with the spank, with the this, with the no, you're not good, plus she's an emotional girl, and this and that. It's like, and she decided I can't do it, and uh, and went another direction. I'm glad, and I thank God that she did. You know, she's she's studying, she wants to be a psychologist, and she's got one degree, and she's going further. So she, you know, she, she's on her way. But this was a very good actress. I mean, she had a lot of potential. It was, and it was a wonderful performance. of not an easy thing. Um, but some of us, it's it just, and I'm very happy for her because it, it, it could have destroyed her. Yeah. I think she was very fortunate to have your example. Uh, one of the things that I criticize a lot of acting training programs for is they train everyone to be brilliant once they have the job. They don't train people to get the job mm -hmm. or to understand the business side of it. Yeah. And Even that's so usually tight. what gets in the way. You know what? And, and it, it probably does. And I tell you, I don't understand the business side of it. You know, it's, 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 it's a concept I don't get. Um, I think I should get every job that I audition for, well, and I don't, so I don't understand what's wrong with that 
structure right there. Uh, <laughs> um, the whole thing. Listen, like I said I, with Diane, I said, Diane, I'll pay you for me not to go to the network. You know, there's certain things we're not trained for. We don't know how to do. And you know what? Thankfully, certain things we should never know how to do. You should never become really an expert at going into that gymnasium and being good. <laughs> That's why people have jobs as agents and managers and casting. Like we need those people so that we're not doing the only thing. Ask a lot of those people what they wanted to do originally. Actually. You, you, you'd be surprised yeah. how many, uh, you know, it goes back to even less moon vests. Mm -hmm. Yes, I read that recently yeah. and I was surprised. I don't know why I should be, but yeah, found his calling. <laughs> no, somebody should have asked him, I'm thinking of being an actor or a mogul. <laughs> suggested mogul. Mogul, please. <laughs> well, I do think it ends up being for the better, because if you know what it's like to be an actor, even if you go into another position mm -hmm. like casting or that running empathy. a network, it, exactly, to know where someone's coming from or even speak their language. Mm -hmm. um, Steve told us a story that some of the writers would, would ask him how to talk to the actors, because, uh -huh. you know, in a way that you would understand what they were trying to convey. Well, you know what? And, and he's, he's absolutely right, because it's some, sometimes they don't have a clue. Uh, they don't have a clue, a writer. Sometimes a director doesn't have a clue because they didn't come from that realm. They don't know what you guys are doing when you're standing on stage talking to each other. In their mind, they have a, an image of what's happening and they have no clue that there's two human beings up there trying to figure out, make this whatever organic, make it right, make it whatever the heck you want to call it. So it's tricky. I mean, and sometimes it can be very difficult <laughs> in a sitcom, especially you'll have the executive producer come up to you and tell you something, you know, you go write it. And then you're not even expecting. And before it's like one of the writers come up behind you, and then we like action. <laughs> and where did he come from? And what was I supposed to do? And then you're left with, why did you do that? Well, um, it, uh, <laughs> so, you know, that's the thing is having the voice. Diane was always great at that because we would have our Friday before the audience, right? We would have a run through where even the director would, you know, would stay back and, and this would, Diane would be giving her final notes either to the director if necessary or to us directly. She was so concise, so to the point, knew how to say it. There's a real skill in that. I always felt that that helped me as a director was being able to sort of communicate and the actor looks at me and says, you know what, he's been up there too. He knows. So most of the time there's a trust, but being able to articulate what you want to do without offending the actor, without going completely against what they may want to try. You know, you may have to have, have a note sometimes from on high. We hate what so-and-so is doing. Get them to do it different. <laughs> uh -huh. You gotta finesse it, you know, and and uh, an experienced actor is terrific. An experienced actor, you say, you can go up and say something like, you know what, man, I'm having an issue. I got a light that's over here. Can you come around just another foot or two over this way? Boom! You don't have to go any further. They're there. They'll do it. They get it. They get the whole thing. That it's not just about them saying their word that that there's a whole team of people and it's all got to work for everybody you know sometimes yeah. and it's rare but sometimes I've even gotten like why why would I do that you want me to do that what's you know and you explain it once you explain it twice then you then <laughs> It's like well I do need you to yes. do that yeah, I th <laughs> yes I think that a lot of young actors over time realize okay, this is my job, so it's my job to figure out yes. how to get to the other side of the stage. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> that, is, that is what blocking is. You just say, yes, I will do that. I will and figure that out. Come up with it. Just like saying you can horseback ride. Sometimes it's like, you know something, it's doing great, but you're blocking the star. <laughs> sometimes that simple. It's just logistics sometimes. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, if you guys want want me out, I am ready to run. If you're if you're saying, Joe, we've had enough. Thank you very much. I don't think we'll ever have enough. One of the things that we've talked about, though, is wanting to look at potentially having people on to talk about specific episodes. Aha! Uh -huh. 
which I know is something that we would love to pick your brain about, especially if, if we interested. have Summer of 77 coming up soon. I would love to, because that was, that, was that was a big, that was a transitional uh, episode for me where I think uh, um, I was able to sort of, there was a thing that I, I, I feel like I was missing a little bit from Frank, and that was kind of an arrogance that mm-hmm. a lot of these people have. It doesn't mean arrogance, not in a, in a nasty way or an aggressive way, but they, they, they're not, they're not, <laughs> they're not drinking violets. No. <laughs> you know, a lot of no, no. orders are, 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 are really well educated. They're smart as hell. Um, and, uh, you know, so, so there's a certain element of that, which, which is, is kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's another flashback that I really enjoy is, um, I think it's called A Night to Remember. It's the Election Day episode. Frank is at a, a voting booth. Oh, He's still working for the Times. Yes. And he meets this girl. Yes. Who I have to say, I felt like of all the women that Frank met or flirted with or dated with, the two of you had such great chemistry. Mm-hmm. I believe it was Liz Vassy. Of course, Frank never seemed to really date anyone past one episode, unfortunately. It's kind of the shit. It's kind of the shit. She was very sweet. I remember that. And I remember, uh, yeah, going back, we did, we did that flashback. And uh, absolutely. Yeah. You know what? There there have been, I agree. She was probably the most normal. Probably they could have uh, had a relationship. Yeah, there were there were no pets involved or anything like that. She was. <laughs> what, was there any of the women that Frank dated that you wish had gone past more than a few episodes? Well, probably. Um, I'm, I'm blanking now, so I, I, I don't... Yeah, no, I mean, there's, there, there was a lot. There's so many. Yeah. <laughs> Not as many as the secretaries, but... Yeah, you know, there, it, there, it, there, it's, there was a it's lot. It's such a... Uh, it's over, you know, a guy who's been married for 45 years now. Congratulations. Yeah, that's amazing. That's insane, right? 40 that's awesome. 45 years is crazy. So, you know, Frank is, you know, he's still looking for his, <laughs> his true love. Oh, we were hoping Frank might have kids and be married by now, but I guess, well. Or one or the other. One or the other. <laughs> not that you're saying either or. Yep. Not of course, not giving anything away. We have a thing we talk about a lot called our head canon, where we have come up with a backstory that either is never fleshed out or what if we were going to dream of a thing where we might put it, but without any ownership of what's going to happen. Because ours also includes tying a nice little bow tie where everybody's happy, which is doesn't make sense for a revival. <laughs> you know what though it, it um, but it does you wonder what are mm-hmm. these folks all up to and um, and you're going to find out you're going to yes, find out yeah. I think that you know what I think that uh, I think that you're going to find out about it <laughs> yes good I, I mean, we had a feeling that we might yeah, yeah. Cool. I, I would like to say that it's it's smart and well written I, I hopefully we'll, we'll well act it too <laughs> it's, I think we're, so we're excited I tell you it was a big a big thing to open that script up and and, uh, and read it because you know other than knowing Diana's so good at what she does who knows you know could have been a down day mm-hmm. I mean nobody's uh, hits the mark every time perfect but that's the thing is at the end of the day the writing of this and diane's part of this is is human and artistic she's not a machine who can just crank it out for sure so the fact that she was able to do this for so long and bring it back and we've been hearing so many positive things about this script Mm -hmm. it it shows the strength of her artistry because it's not a given it's true it's something we all want to do that's the biggest thing whether or not it's going to be genius it's going to be great or oh my god it'll have this numbers or that numbers it's really just something that we all could immediately look at and say, we want to be part of this, no question. And, uh, and we are, we continue to be excited. I keep saying it, but we're, I mean, we've been like a racehorse at the gate now for, for months and months. Yeah, it does seem like everything all of a sudden is happening mm-hmm. very fast on our end, so I can't yeah. imagine how fast it must feel on your end. Yeah. We're getting close, too. It's clo- you know, for, for a while, July seemed like, you know, God, it's so far away now. It's uh, right around the corner. Mm-hmm. So the, there's that logistic stuff for a couple of us, at least, uh, to, to get to New York and be somewhere that we're going to be... Uh, Long Island City went from warehouses to like the new Williamsburg overnight. Yeah. So they gave it its own title. Excuse me. <laughs> Excuse me. 
I spent the worst year of my life in Astoria. I, oh no, I've spent 10 great years. No, no, this was way back. No wonder this you're reluctant to come here. I wasn't even around when I spent these worst years of my life. <laughs> I was like, what was I, 20. I was 20 years old. I was living in a loft in New York City. For some reason, got kicked out of there or it didn't work out and I had to go get a place. Somebody says he's got a place in Astoria. It was a rented room. <laughs> this big. And it, we shared, he, I had a rented room and this guy who told me about it had a rented room on the other side and there was a hot plate mm. in the foyer oh. where you came in. He said foyer. You did say foyer. So that night, it was the, my buddy who got me this thing was out, didn't come home the first, didn't come home at all. So I'm thinking, oh, crap, man. I, it was the first time I felt so alone because I was living in a loft. I went from my family to living in a loft, living in a couple of places with people around in New York. And here I am in this freaking place with nobody around, this tiny little cubicle room. And every day, this is when I was serving out my conscientious subjective status. Every day I had to go get on the train and go to New York to, to NYU. And, and I remember they were... I could see studios off in the distance that they were building or rebuilding or they were old and they were abandoned. I don't know what they were, but... If I may say, Joe, that might have been Kaufman Astoria because yeah. Kaufman Astoria Kaufman. has been around since the talkies. I am mm -hmm. almost pot... Well, this was after the talkies started. No, I just mean it was They've been here a while. They've been there a while. I'm, I'm almost positive. And it was literally about three blocks. It, was, it sounds like it was something I vaguely remember, like 31st Avenue, 38th Avenue. Yeah, yes. that's about it. 31st and about your, 38th your life is, Street. That is Astoria Coffee. Your life is coming full circle. It this is. is amazing. And I have to say, it is much nicer now. It's very well, nice. Really There's a lot of nice restaurants. They they turned the, the commissary into a speakeasy. Yeah. Listen, I... I drove cab in New York. I drove buses. You did. I drove buses in New wow. York. I used to I used to drive a bus. They were charter buses. I would have to go to Harlem at midnight, pick up an oh. entire church group who would get on the bus. They would get on the bus and start partying, and I have to drive to Niagara Falls at night, and they would party. Insane. They'd be breaking out the food and the drinks and dancing and everything. They'd make a prayer before they go, Lord, bless our driver. They say, make sure, bless our driver, make sure he puts his foot on the brake on time. Make sure everything is good. And this and that. And now let's have a good time. Praise the Lord. And they would go crazy. But at two o'clock in the morning, they're all fall asleep. The party was over and you're driving. <laughs> you're driving to Niagara Falls. Oh, that sounds like drudgery. With, yeah, it was horrifying. With 60 people behind you driving cabs, getting ripped off, robbed. Oh, God. I mean, you know, in there. My dad was a tour guide in Alaska driving mm. tourists and motor coaches for many years. And I, that is. Yeah, I drove the tour bus around New York as well. Mm -hmm. That, that uh, site did that one. Well, this was the supplement when you were acting or when you were this, uh, at NYU? It was. Uh, it was. In the summers, um, when I was at NYU, and uh, the cab driving was when I first got married, so that was would have also been, yeah, 20, that was like 20, wow. 23. So, Joe, we've run out of questions that we prepared, mm -hmm. because we did not think that you'd want to talk to us for this long. I'll come back to you anytime you want. You please, could, please, please, do. If you would, you know, if you're not. I'm trying to think, oh, actually, there was one last one that my friend wanted me to ask. If you thought that Frank was still in therapy, <laughs> um, I would say that uh, I don't. You know what? I say no. Yes, oh, good. But also, I I support therapy. So, oh, but, listen, I'm not saying for Frank. I don't think he's against it, but I think he's maybe going through a period of you know what? I'm going to handle this shit. <laughs> yeah, Frank. See, that's great. That's progression for Frank. It is. Hey, I don't know. I don't know if Diane has a different idea. But uh, yeah. that's, that would be my vibe. Well, we'll see because if if Diane does hear all, and you say this, you'll see in a new draft whether. <laughs> oh, she hears all. She, she's probably going to write something like Frank thinks he's not in therapy. <laughs> oh, no.
Amazing. Well, I mean, I'm sort of Phil. I mean, now we have Phyllis, but, yeah. you know, sort of served as a bit of a sure. therapist for everybody. Absolutely. He was the best. He knew everything about everybody. You know, he knew what was going on in, 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 uh, in Washington before they did. You have to love Phil. I always love that when he says, you know, mm. okay, you know, I, uh, I warned Eisenhower about that. And he, <laughs> <laughs> he was so funny that in that one episode you were talking about, uh, about being uh, at our own funeral. He's sitting in the back and he'd say, uh, oh, Miles, uh, Miles, Frank owes me a little bit of money. Who would I ask for that money? Would that be you, Miles? <laughs> <laughs> I just love at the funeral. Everybody's got their issues. Everyone, yeah. It's it's really one of my absolute favorites, and I think because it it takes what the show does best is that it mm-hmm. takes comedy and drama and puts it together because it is a really funny episode, but it's also it hits you in the gut. It does because these are two people who mm-hmm. are reevaluating their lives. Yeah, and we and we talk about that that voiceover that monologue. Oh, the montage. I, oh. I say that that montage is the best montage that I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. The way that they, they intercut episodes the from the show, oh. plus uh, new scenes of, of you and uh, Candace when you're younger, and then bits of dialogue from episodes mm-hmm. over other scenes mm-hmm. of their life flashing in front of their eyes. It's, it's beautiful. I have got to. I, I absolutely don't remember that. I have got to revisit that. It is some beautiful. Yeah. It's it's not only beautiful acting and writing, but it is it's beautiful television work, like television at yeah. its best and what it can do. That's that's exciting to hear. Whenever I hear something like that, I tell you, you, you almost don't know how to respond. It's just exciting to hear that you know that it's television. You, you're you're always making an effort to do the best work you can do to to just you know try not to be the the one who screws it up. And, I understand that. <laughs> and the, well, they can always edit you out, I guess. Exactly. Right? <laughs> well, there is that, you know, but sometimes even that's tricky, you know. Yeah. Look, there are episodes, there are clear episodes where you can see Candace with her back turned to the camera giggling. The show <laughs> actually... Hey, listen, you. there are scenes when you cover your mouth yes. and we are pretty sure you're laughing. Oh, no. <laughs> we're like, we lost Frank. Yeah, we're like, Frank cuts his face a lot. I mean, it happened... A lot, you know, all of a sudden you're, you're not expecting Grant would come in with something. Oh, Jesus, God, this, <laughs> you know, you're taken by surprise and um, always, always a thrill, of course. Yeah, the outtakes from the show are really fun to mm-hmm. watch because uh, you see, obviously, you guys having fun, but that you're finding it as funny as we are. Yes. And that I think I think there's one uh, from season one, since obviously we're doing season one, uh, where Barnett asks, who hasn't laughed yet? <laughs> Yeah, and then Grant raises his hand, and then everyone just loses it. Yeah. I, oh, that's so funny. I wonder if it was. Uh, I wonder if that was when um, Miles goes to visit Candace in the rest home. No, oh. that's different. So good. That one I understand is a very famous mm-hmm. one. That one started funny, and like ten minutes later, the rest of us were like, "Please God, don't let them laugh anymore." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the thing, right? Like, it's a job, and yeah. eventually. Exactly. <laughs> yep. But uh... one of my favorite things watching outtakes from from these great comedies is watching the poor featured actors when oh. when the leads are cracking up because you can tell they're doing their thing of like I don't want to be the one to mess up I can't laugh I can't be the one to mess this up because I like I don't have the the warrant and you just watch the leads lose their minds and you see the person just trying that new actor who's just like I got my I got my co-star I'm gonna do this <laughs> and they're trying so hard to be serious next to everyone else losing it and and I gotta tell you. We had some great guest stars. I mean, they mm-hmm. were terrific actors. I mean, so good. You know, many of them have had plenty of career after and before Murphy Brown, but they were so good and so funny that it, you couldn't help but laugh at some of them. I mean, some of the secretaries alone. Oh yeah. The concepts were great, but when you you know mm-hmm. when you actually have Hitler there, you know, dancing and, and wondering, and he's not Hitler a- asking the question. I don't know. I can't seem to keep a job, and I don't know why. <laughs> it's just, you know, some of it was just so good, and, and those actors were would nail it. You know, I mean, I I can't. I remember it. I don't even remember his name. Bless his heart. When we were watching 
Murphy go undercover as a hooker. Oh. <laughs> and him just saying, this is the guest actor to sing. Well, you got to hooker. And a really old hooker. You're <laughs> <laughs> talking about Murphy as a, ooh, he's a Joe, I feel like I need to tell you the story now. Um, so I would also record interviews with you guys on this tape that I have. Well, and you did an interview for E with by, with a train in the background. Did you do you collect old trains? Oh my goodness! I just realize that <laughs> this is so embarrassing, but it's funny. So my embarrassment over the joke is why I'm telling the story. And you said that your your children like to watch that episode a lot for some reason, but I didn't know you were talking about that episode because I hadn't seen the first part of season two yet. My daughter, who was like four years old, would say, "I want to watch the Hooker Show. I want to watch the Hooker Show." And so I didn't get, because again, I'm like 11 or 12, and I had not seen that episode because no syndication and it wasn't rerun. So of course I would not have seen it. And I thought you, your kids were referring to the skirts that Corky and Murphy were wearing as hooker skirts. It, it, it was probably my daughter who everything <laughs> about that show, she was four, maybe five at the most. She was like three, three or so when it started, four, I would say four and a half. But something about that, Caught her. There were, I think, bright red dresses, hooker dress, and she heard the word hooker, old hooker, hooker. I want to watch the hooker show. I want to see the hooker show. The hooker. Oh my God, that was. My kids say do do say the darndest things. Yeah. <laughs> when syndication came along and I was fourteen and a little older, and I saw that episode, I went, oh, that's what that interview was referencing. <laughs> but I had already told that story to some of my old own age who was mortified by. <laughs> I was like, what? It's funny. And, you know, they, they, they were like, oh. Holy, oh, my goodness. Yeah. How, how dare I, I tell such a, a torrid story? Still upset. Wow. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad to see that, that you've broken that those chains of shyness, though. Yes, I have. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see how long it lasts. Oh, I don't know how any of us get through childhood, period. Get through childhood and high school. I truly wonder how, how we make it. Oh, I, I credit the arts. Yeah, that was, it was I mean, on that my was... little island of misfit toys, and that's the only reason I got through my very shy, head in a book, Shakespeare nerd childhood. Wow! Was my little island of misfit. I think for me, it was me and my friend Barry. After the movie Spartacus came out, would fight all the kids on the playground and scream Odin, Odin, because that was the big thing we wanted to scream. Mm -hmm. Spartacus. So it was mine was more about surviving. With those kids, yeah, all the kids, you know, a way to get through because you don't know what you're doing when you're seven. No, you don't. Eight. <laughs> oh, I just knew I wanted to be Emma Thompson and Much Ado About Nothing. That's what I knew, which is a great goal. It's still my goal. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you guys, I I'll let you come yeah. some other questions. You can call me anytime. You're really nice. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, thank you, thank you for for coming on. No, we we're, we're so touched that you would spend this much time with yeah. us and that you're willing to do it again. You know, following guys like Peterman and stuff, holy mackerel, that's hard. <laughs> but completely different perspective. I didn't even tell you one last thing. Peterman okay. and I acted together in a movie of the week. How come he didn't mention that, Steven? He was an actor. It was called, um, I think it was called Falling in Love, actually. It was, it was uh, yeah, we acted. We had small parts. That's funny because he said that he and Gary had seen you in a play and yeah. you did this monologue about being invisible and that that sort of le lent itself into that happening to Frank. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was, that was a great play, play Division Street. We ended up taking it to Broadway. John Lithgow did in New York and uh, uh, um, Tim Matheson did it in California. And, uh, oh, that was one of the greatest parts I ever had in my life. Hmm. guy named Roger. They called him Roger the Rotten. It was all about these oh. ex-60s radicals who came back. This was in 1981 to, mm -hmm. to get together and have a reunion. Hilarious. Steve mm -hmm. Tessich wrote it. The guy who wrote uh, Breaking Away and oh, uh, yeah. The World According to Garp. He passed oh, yeah. away uh, about 10 years ago, but um, brilliant writer. Terrific play. We got smash reviews in California, it was standing room only at the Mark Taper. And then we brought it to New York, had a couple of weeks. Um, Frank Rich was the new, he had just switched over 
And he said it was okay. Yeah, back when the times could uh, sink you, time. right? Yeah, mm -hmm. not so much anymore, but that was that was a definitely a time in Broadway history. All right, you guys. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. Okay. It was so nice meeting Thank you. Thank you so much, Joe. Nice to meet you. Bye. Talk soon. Bye. And as I was editing this episode, I said to Jesse, I feel like I can leave shit in. <laughs> cool. So that's the bumper at the end of this one. Well, better out than in, honestly. Wow, I'm just Gracie Allen today. Woo. Okay. Okay. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Who hasn't left yet? Oh. Um